Okay. Well, with that, let's go to our message today, which is uh, uh, the names of God we've been talking about in uh, this series through the summer. Hope you've been enjoying it so far. Hope it's helped you move closer to God. Uh, when we talk about the names of God, uh, realize that in Scripture is God's revelations, how God revealed himself to us. And why would God do that? Well, he wants us to know him. That's one of the reasons why he did that. And the names of God, uh, in Scripture, God's called by different names or titles. These things uh, reveal certain parts of his character, his nature, that help us get to know who he is. So we get to know him better. And this week is uh, no exception. We have a, a brand new name that we'll be covering. And it's a, we start this week for the rest of the second half of our series. We're going to be calling what our compound names of God. So they'll start with... Yahweh, and then they'll have something else that's added to it. So it's Yahweh plus, or compound, put together. Which means that in order to fully get the, these names of God from this point on, uh, you really should be familiar with who Yahweh is, right? So if you missed that message, it's on our website, funchurch.com. You can go there and listen to the name of God, Yahweh, the Lord, as it's translated, and realize that all the attributes of who God is are of are basically stated in these other further names, plus there's an additional thing added to it, which is, is kind of fun. All right, so uh, today's name uh, comes to us from a, a pretty important story in Genesis 22, and so I thought our memory verse today should come also from that story. It is a long memory verse, I'm, I'm just going to warn you. So here it is, Genesis 22:14, which says, On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. There you go. So, all right. So, you think we can handle this today? All right, here we go. Say it along with me. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Genesis 22, 14. All right, again. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Genesis 22, 14. Awesome. Now, which mountain? Mountain of the Lord. That's where provision is. This is a very important part. Because there's a lot of other places we can go stand. And how about this? On the mountain of the Lord, might it be provided? Mm, it will be provided. There is certainty in this. This is why this verse has so much power. So on the mountain of the Lord, will be provided. Let's test ourselves. Here we go. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Genesis 22, 14. Oh, you guys are awesome. Don't let anybody tell you you can't memorize scripture. All right, so here we go. The name's name is Yahweh Yaira. Now, if you grew up in the church and, and uh, before uh, we've, Christians, we've decided we're going to change how we're saying these names, uh, there's actually good theological reasons that are really boring. But just know this. In the past, we would say this was like Jehovah Jaira, right? Yahweh was Jehovah, Yaira is Jaira. Same God, same name. So if you heard that way before, there you go. Yahweh Yaira. Now, like I said, this came from a memorable event like most of these names in Scripture. They teach us something very important about God. And this particular event, this name came from a, a time in Abraham's life. And the name itself means the Lord will provide. And you're going to see that in this story, uh, how profound that is. So if you have your Bibles, turn them to Genesis chapter 22. And so if you have one of our Bibles, that's going to be on page 14. If you forgot your Bible or need a Bible, got you covered. Got a whole bunch of them in the back there uh, by the sound booth and, and the thing. And if you just need a Bible, keep it our gift to you. All right, so I'm going to be starting in verse, uh, uh, 20, chapter 22, verse 1. And it says there, sometime later. Now, you, when you start there, sometime, what was sometime later? Well, I'll tell you what happened before this event. 
Abraham was a 70-year-old man, and God said, move away from your hometown and go somewhere. I'm going to show you where to be. And Abraham did. He left and started a whole new life, live in a tent. But he did this because God promised him a couple things. One thing, God promised him land. The second one, God promised him a, a lineage, that he was going to have descendants, right? And in order to have descendants, you have to have a kid. Okay, so Abraham left at 70, even though he didn't have any kids, and that's kind of late to start a family. But he left, and he moved over there, and then 30 years pass, 30 years, and God finally gives him a child. That's a long time, because when you're 70 and you have a kid, that's improbable, right? You're 80, and that's pretty remarkable. You're 90, and that's straight up just impossible. You're 100 years old, God showed up, Right? And God showed up. And so Abraham had waited. You think about that. You wait for 30 years, waiting, waiting, waiting. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, from exalted father to father of many, right? As an act of faith, Abraham changed his name, father of many, and he waited and waited and waited. And finally, God showed up and gave him the promised child. Name him Isaac because that means laughter, because it was such a miracle. When God said, you're going to have a kid, Abraham laughed at God. It was like, yeah, that's going to happen. And so did his wife. So when they gave him a son, they're like, well, name him laughter. Laughter, right? It was just a testimony to how good God was. Laughter in their home. The, the, the promise of God. He's gotten to see the promise grow up. These are good years for Abraham. And that's where we pick it up. Sometime after. God tested Abraham. You say, wait, what? Wasn't the test when God said, move from your hometown? When you're 70 and to go camping for a long time, right? Wasn't the test when God said, you're going to have a child, I'm going to change your name to have father of many, and you're going to actually call yourself that. Wasn't that a test when he allowed God to, wasn't the test, right, to, to wait all of those years and to trust God and not give up and move back, you know, to Ur? I think sometimes we think in life that we have graduated But Abraham shows us that there was still a test, that God wanted to do something. And so God tested Abraham, and this is the test. God said to him, Abraham, and here I am, he replied. Here I am, and your blessing, enjoying the promise. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, And sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. I can't imagine a more difficult test. Right? This is just a a crazy test. I mean, when I was younger in my faith, I read this. I got mad at God for this test. I'm like, how on earth is this so cruel? How could you possibly ask to be this? I realized that for Abraham, this wasn't just... Uh, sacrifice your child, which for all of us would be more than enough for most of us to, I would say, to say we probably wouldn't pass that test. But no, no, don't just sacrifice your child. Sacrifice the promise. Everything, everything you've put your family through all of these years, all of the ridicule when people said, oh, your name's exalted father and now father of many, where's your kid? You followed God and now you're still wandering around living in a tent. All of those years, trusting God, putting everything in trust of God. And it rests on this one person. Abraham didn't have more kids, his one, his son. This is where the promise was through. And God said, 
Not just that he was to sacrifice his son, but he said you sacrificed him as a burnt offering. There's going to be no body to resurrect. He is going to be slayed and then burnt. There's going to be a place, for a tomb for you to go back to. He will be gone, completely consumed. It will be done. I can't bring myself to understand the level of how hard that test was. But then again, God didn't ask me. The reality is that God asked Abraham. And that Abraham was prepared for this test. Everything in Abraham's life prepared him for this. See, God wasn't just like pop quiz. He didn't spring this upon Abraham, and Abraham wasn't ready. No, Abraham had a half of a life that was, that was dedicated that he could see that there was a God who keeps his promises. He learned that God keeps promises even when it doesn't make sense to how he's going to do it. He saw his wife, who was a very old woman, give birth to a son. He knew that God was trustworthy. He knew that God could, would do what he claimed to do. He knew that God was almighty and that God was faithful. He'd experienced it. And so when he was challenged with this very difficult test, something that would make no sense to most of us, he responds. We see how he responds in, in verse, or, you know, verse 3. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He didn't wait. He didn't argue with God. This was a very difficult thing. God said, You've, everything in your life has pointed to this, right? I'm telling you to give it up. He didn't wait for the next week and say, I'm going to fast and pray, make sure I heard God okay. He heard God. He also knew this, that you're not going to outweigh God. He had 30 years to learn that lesson. He wasn't just going to stick around and wait and maybe see if God changed his mind. No, early the next morning, it was time. And he left right then. And so it says, early the next morning he got up and he, he loaded his donkey. He took with him two servants. And uh, after he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. This was not a short trip, by the way. Abraham, this old man, first thing he had to do is he had to get the wood for a sacrifice he didn't even want to make. And then, think about it, he's 100 years old, and he has to make a journey. I'm going to show you a map in just a little bit that shows you how far he had to go as a 100-year-old man, three days camping. This was not pulling off the band-aid. This was three days. I'm sure the entire three days, he's hoping, praying to God, okay, I don't know what you're up to, but here I am obeying. I hope this is some kind of test that I'm doing, right? And God doesn't change his mind. Day one, day two, he's there camping with his son, enjoying the promise, knowing that he's about having to sacrifice for three days. And then finally, he gets there. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Well, a couple of things. He gets to the spot, and then he's still got to climb a mountain. That's one thing. This was not easy. God did not make this easy for him. He didn't say, hey, go down to the beach. He didn't say, go take a nice stroll where it's easy. He'll climb the mountain as an old man. I am tomorrow. I'm starting my vacation. i got a week off, and so I'm going to go tomorrow. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to climb flat top, which is four miles of up, and I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to go four miles down because four miles is enough, Right? And get to the top where it's flat. 
and then I'm going to take the rest of the week off because I'm going to be spent, right? <laughs> this guy, Abraham, hiked three days and then to the mountain, something hard. But also, look what he tells us his servants. He says, I don't, this doesn't make sense to me. All I know is that God promised me that this man, this my, my son, Isaac, is going to be the one whom he's going to have babies through. Like, I'm going to have all kinds of descendants through this child. And God also said that he wants me to have him as a burnt offering. And Abraham's like, I can't make the two match in my logic. I don't know how the two match, but I know that my God is bigger than my brain. And so we're going to go up there, and we're going to worship, and we're going to come back. He didn't know how God was going to do it, but he knew that he would. And so Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went up together. And Isaac spoke up, and he said to his father, Abraham, Father, he said, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. Well, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son, Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And that is when he passed the test. That was a long journey up that mountain. And I'm sure he's waiting. He says, the Lord will provide the lamb. He's knowing, he's expecting God to do something to provide. And he's waiting and he's expecting it, but there was no provision. He makes it to the top of the mountain. And there's no lamb. And so, fortunately, there's no altar. So he's got to build an altar. That takes a while. And he's building the altar and there's no lamb. And I'm sure Isaac at this time was looking around saying, well, where's the lamb? Well, then he puts the wood on the altar, giving God a little extra time. Still no lamb. You know, any point up to this point that Abraham could have turned around, he could have gone halfway up the mountain and said, forget this. I'm not going to sacrifice my son. This is ridiculous. This doesn't make sense, God, that you're not a God that would do that. It doesn't make sense. So I'm not going to. He could have made it to the top and looked and said, well, there's no altar here. It's too hard. And say, no, Lord, I'm not going to. There's no lamb up here. I've changed my mind. He could have built the altar and looked around and said, and seen the place that he was going to slay his son. And that there, he could have said, I'm afraid and it doesn't make sense. And therefore, no, I'm going to turn away. He could have put the wood on the altar and the finality of recognizing that his son, his only son, the promise was about to be completely destroyed. He could have looked at it there and said, I will not do this. And he could have turned away. He bound his son. And he puts him on top of the wood. And even then, he could have changed his mind, looking at his son there and thinking, no, I don't trust God enough. But that's not what Abraham did. As he took the knife and he was ready. That moment, Isaac was already dead. Abraham had already sacrificed his son. He had crossed that threshold. He had said to God, I've waited. I've given you every single opportunity. And somehow... It doesn't make sense, but I'm going to trust you. You know, how did Abraham have the kind of faith to be able to do that? You remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about El Shaddai? There was a verse in Romans that we read, talked about Abraham. It's right here, Romans 4, it says, Yet Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. 
Now, this was true. Not this, That verse doesn't reference back to this particular episode. This happens before um, Isaac was even born. Abraham, if you remember, Abraham had, had a, a different son. He had a, had a son with his wife's employee, right? And they have this son there, and then 12 years pass, and Abraham doesn't know, hey, did I fulfill God's, you know, is this the right one? And this son, uh, doing it out of sight of God's way, caused all kinds of problems. And Abraham and Sarah were both, um, you know, wavering in their faith. And then God shows up and says, I am God Almighty. I'm going to keep my word. It doesn't make sense if you don't understand how it's going to happen. You can trust me. And, and because God revealed himself as God Almighty, the one who was able to do these things, then it says Abraham, he didn't waver through unbelief because he knew God had the power, had the ability to do what he had promised. Now, if Abraham had this kind of faith before he saw the child of promise, how much more do you think that he had this kind of faith after seeing his son Isaac born and then living with him for all of those years? God prepared Abraham for this moment. And something that's interesting is God knew in advance that Abraham was going to pass the test. Abraham didn't know if he was going to pass the test, but God did. God had prepared him. And so he raises the knife, and he's, he's already sacrificed his son. He had been obedient to God. And look what God does on the mountain of the Lord. It says in verse 11, But an angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! Here I am, he replied. What a great response. Where was he? Here I am. Here I am on your mountain, God, doing exactly what you asked me to do. Here I am making a sacrifice that makes no sense to me, God. Here I am trusting you more than I trust my own brain, right? Here I am trusting you more than I trust my own heart. Here I am, God, being obedient to you. Here I am on your mountain. What a blessed thing to be able to say. And God says to him, do not lay a hand on the boy. Can you imagine how sweet those words must have sounded to Abraham? He says, do not do anything to him. Because now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. It wasn't just that God sent some messenger, he sent himself. This is one of those times in scripture that we say that maybe we see Jesus. Isn't that cool? You didn't withhold even your son, your only son. And then Abraham looked up. And there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns. And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place. I want you to see this. Abraham called that place Yahweh Yireh. The Lord will provide. And, it's, and to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. What a powerful thing, name that that's, I mean, wasn't that a, a moment you would think in Abraham's life he never forgot? Or Isaac's? But there was a place that God's provision was. God provided a very deep and very important need. And something about God and his ability and his heart for provision, we learn about this. So two observations I want to share with you about Yahweh Yireh today. And the first one is, um, is this, that Yahweh Yireh means... The Lord will provide. You said, oh, you've been saying that all the way through. Yeah, but I think sometimes we get it wrong. See, the word Yaira doesn't come from like we would think from like, a, a, like the, a root word that would mean to give or something like this. Yaira comes from a root word that's to see. Right? And the idea is that, that if you see a need, then God just by his own nature is so motivated he's going to meet the needs that he sees. 
He sees it. Right? And so Yahweh Yireh, translated properly, is, it actually can be translated properly in three different ways. And all three of them are accurate. And the first one is this, is that the Lord foresees. He's the God who foresees. He's the God who sees the needs in advance. This is a pretty fa- profound idea, right? Because our God, this means that our God is not just limited by the time and space that we are, but he sees all things. Otherwise, we call him omniscient, right? He knows everything, the future before it's even happened, right? He knows. And what this helps us with is that because God foresees the needs, he's able to prepare for those, right? Have you ever had an unexpected need come up? I'm the only one? Okay, so let me tell you what that's like. Okay, so I was making pancakes in my house, and we have a carton that has eggs in it, okay? And there's a carton that sits up in the top of the refrigerator, and that's where the eggs are, are in the carton. And I needed two eggs to make pancakes. All right, so I'm making pancakes, and I thought I had all of the ingredients. And I open, I take the carton down, and I open it up, and somebody used the last egg and put the carton back. I don't know why you would do that. Right? I did not foresee this need. And because I did not foresee the need, I was not able to provide for it. And so we had horrible pancakes. God is never surprised. He knows your needs before you even know that there were needs to be needed. That's the way our God is. He foresees it. You're not going to go to God and say, God, I need this. And he'll be like, what? Didn't see that coming. Right? He's had millennia to prepare. He is more than capable and he is very aware, which leads to the second thing that it means. It's not just that God foresees, but that he actively sees your needs. The Lord sees. He's not some God way up there that's just looking down and everybody looks like they're peaceful. No, he is the God that is here. In fact, for those of us who are in Christ, the Holy Spirit rests in us, not just on us. God is is not just one that is with us, but in us. And he sees your need. He sees it. He doesn't just see our wants. And sometimes we think we have needs, and they're not really needs. No, he sees actively what we really truly need. And he sees them. He's not unaware. You think there's a difference? Like, I think there are times, last week my son, who did an incredible job for, I mean, even if it wasn't his first sermon, I thought I was just so impressed by how he preached. But he preached a sermon on God the Father, our Abba. And he really is a father, which means we're his kids. And I think oftentimes we really act like kids, right? We ask for things we think are, we're just so certain their needs, but they're not. Just like kids do. Like, if you ask kids, like, what do they really need for dinner? They're like, sugar, Right? Right? But kids don't need sugar, right? Because what does it do? It makes them mean. Right? And so as a parent, you don't give them what they ask for all the time, but you give them what they actually need, a good, healthy meal and all that kind of stuff. I think oftentimes we go to God and we're like, I need sugar. Right? That's all we're asking him for. But if he just gave us all everything we asked for, then we would just become nasty, wouldn't we? Just grumpy, crabby horrible people but he gives us what we need because he's a good heavenly father but here's the thing is he sees our real needs i think that's something that's very profound you don't have to go to a temple get this how many millions of people throughout history have thought that they have got to go to some temple and talk to some rock about 
this is what my need is. And try to explain it to this, this dead piece of whatever that say, can you please recognize that I have a need? Your God is not like that. He sees your need. He is Yahweh Yaira. The Lord sees you. And there is nothing right now as a need in your life that God is not unaware of. But he is aware of everything. And he sees you. But there's a third way that this also is translated that I think is more powerful than the other two, and that's this, that the Lord shall be seen. God doesn't just send Western Union. He sends himself. He is our provision. The way that this can be translated is that the Lord's provision shall appear. That was the idea in the Hebrew mind when they wrote that. The Lord's provision shall appear. Like when God's provision shows up in your life, it is such a way as a testimony that God is real. I don't know if you've ever experienced the Lord's provision showing up in your life, but you saw like Terry, or not Terry, but the, um, the Hoovers, whenever they say, they're like, oftentimes God shows up, he, he provides in like the most unexpected ways, but he pro- always provides. This is... This is reality. God provides. But when he shows up, when he does provide, he shows up in such a way that not just you, but authors will be able to say, God showed up. Think about Isaac on that mountain. God showed up for him, didn't he? He was all bound and ready to die. I imagine he had some significant needs in those moments. You ever felt vulnerable like this? Like if God doesn't show up, I'm going to be sliced up and burned? I think there are times in our life we feel panicked. We're like, if God doesn't show up, I'm done. And it doesn't look like he's going to show up because it's crickets. But God shows up. And he showed up in such a significant way. I mean, Isaac, man, when he saw that ram, that was, he was like, the Lord provided. <laughs> the God delivered me. God's provision, it happens. And it does. You can talk to one another, believers, And you can tell stories. I know you can because you've told me stories about how God showed up in your own life. This is testimony. You've seen this. This is not fairy tale. This is not something for other people far away. This is God. He is real and he's active not just in the lives of those that are far away or back in history, but in the lives of his children today. And the Lord shall be seen, not might be seen, but shall be seen. If you are in Christ God's there to provide for you, and he is not abandoned. See, Mount Moriah is where God shall be seen. I want to show you where Mount Moriah was, because I want you to get in your mind how far away this was. What did it mean to go to the mountain of the Lord? Abraham was down there in that little circle near Beersheba. You all know that I like maps, by the way, right? Beersheba, down there. And he had to go up to Mount Moriah. That's where God called him to go. That's like a 60-mile hike. And you can see from where the rivers are and all that. Rivers run downhill, by the way, if you've ever wondered, right? They had to go uphill. It was not an easy hike. And there are times that it wasn't in Beersheba that the Lord provided. God called Abraham, and Abraham had to go a very difficult, long journey. It was hard. He had to go where God asked him to go, and it was a step-by-step of faith. It was something, the entire step of the way, it made no sense to him, and it was not a place that he really wanted to go. But he knew if that was where the mountain of the Lord was, that's where he was going. There's something powerful when a disciple follows Jesus. And sometimes the journey is long, and sometimes it's hard. 
But I'll tell you this, in the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You know, those of us who get to go to Israel next year, if you're going to be going with us on our church trip to Israel, uh, we're going to actually get to go to Mount Moriah. In fact, we're going to take this journey from Beersheba to, uh, Beersheba to Mount Moriah. It's going to be an amazing thing. We're going to go on one day. We're going to go from there. So we actually get to follow that journey. But we're going to go on a bus because, right? And so, uh, <laughs> here's the thing. Do you want to see what Mount Moriah looks like today? Because we know exactly where it is. It looks just like this. It looked familiar. On the mountain, the Lord, it will be provided. I think it's interesting that the promise was not this, that God might provide or whatever. They said um, after he provided. You have Abraham calls this play Yahweh Yaira. And then they say on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That's right there. Think about what happened there. You know what's underneath that, uh, that golden temple from that, that uh, pagan religion that has that right there? It's, uh, there's a rock. Moriah, what the Lord provided. And you know what was there before there was the, the dome of the rock? There was a temple. You know, that was where Solomon built his temple. It was there in that space that God provided the sacrificial system, the, the day of atonement, the priest to be able to, to provide atonement for people's sins so they could have hope. There, on the same mountain of the Lord, it was provided. But then, there was another temple that was built there. After the first one, people were naughty and God sent them away and gave them a time out. They had to come back and rebuild the temple and God gave them another opportunity again. A second chance. And the Lord provided. He didn't abandon them. They were able to build a second temple. And you know that second temple? It stood. It was there. And there were still sacrifices all the way up to the time when God sent the perfect sacrifice. His only son. Except this time, instead of, you know, staying the knife, God did what Abraham didn't have to do. And so it was true, it was said of Jesus, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believed in him would never perish but have eternal life there. The testimony of Jesus. And 70 years after Jesus died and rose again, there wasn't a need for a temple anymore, which is why God lets whatever gets built there. So, so be it. But on the mountain, the Lord was provided. I think we find here the second thing that is so true if we look at that mountain and we look at what God has done there, that we recognize that Yahweh Yireh doesn't just mean the Lord will provide, but it's also a truth that the Lord is the perfect provider. Yahweh Yireh is a perfect provider. He starts with our greatest needs, our spiritual needs. I mean, which of us can save our own soul? None of us. So it's very clearly in Scripture that all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Think about a criminal. You can't, you can't, you know, obey the law enough that it just undoes all the crimes you've done. No, you commit a crime, you do the time. And we have all sinned against God. Every one of us. Every one of us deserves death. That's what it says in Scripture. So God sent himself to come and pay that price so we wouldn't have to. He provided our sacrificial atonement. He provided for us like he did for for Isaac all those years ago. He said, instead of you, here's your sacrifice. Here's a perfect sacrifice. And he did it for us because he loves us. John 1.29, the start of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist, this is how John the Baptist recognizes Jesus right before Jesus starts his ministry. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is what this is about. God provided the perfect sacrifice. 
He starts with our spiritual needs. And I think this is a great place for us to start because how many people in the world have no idea that their spiritual needs are met? How many people live their life in such a way, such kind of a a weird, like if I'm good enough, then hopefully God will accept me. What a horrible, insecure place to live. But God provides us security. It's not based upon how good you are. God provided the need. That is amazing. The perfect one. But the thing is, as believers, sometimes we just stop there. And that would be more than enough. I'll give you this. But God has something more for you and me. Three times this week, it's just one of those weeks, I had three different people walk in uh, from the community broken, terrified about life. Tell me things that they were saying, I can't do it anymore. I don't know how to go any further. I'm, I'm working as much as I can. I can't afford to live up here. I don't know what to do. You know, I'm at the end. I'm, I've done everything I can, and it's not enough. Isn't it awesome that this week was the week I get to preach on this? It was fresh on my heart and mind that I was able to point them to God's Scripture. And, and all three times, it was interesting, in talking about how God meets his spiritual needs, there was like, yeah, of course, okay, Jesus meets his spiritual need. But then I was saying, but he does more. And there was just like this block to say, no, no, no. Jesus does that part, but then God leaves me to do the rest of my life. That's up to me. Like, is God really going to pay my electric bill? Yes. That's a crazy thing. That's a thought that most of us, I'm not talking health and wealth that God just wants you to have your best life now, that God cares for you. This is something that's, that's very important for us to get as Christians so we can accept a whole different way of life that he's given us. First thing we recognize is, yeah, God provides our spiritual needs, but he also provides all of our needs, which starts with the fact that we remember that he is omniscient, that he knows all of our needs before you have them. He's not just talking about spiritual needs. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 8. He tells his disciples how to pray. He's saying, this is how we, when we talk to God, don't be just babbling on, telling God, trying to all over and over again. You're not going to give him any new information. He says, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. And notice he doesn't say your master or your Lord, and he could have but your father. God is not up there just being your big boss. He's your heavenly father, and you're his child, and he knows what you need. He is very aware. And these are more than just spiritual needs. These are practical things that we have in our life. God knows these things. They matter to him because they matter to us. Also, recognize that God isn't just not aware of your needs, but He's sufficient to meet those needs. Look what it says in Romans 8. It says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If God didn't withhold his son, why do you think he's only going to help you halfway? All things is a lot of things. Would we agree? I would imagine the things that you need right now somehow fall within that scope of all things. God is not going to withhold all things. It says graciously give. This is the heart of God, the ability of God. It's not as though you have a debt and God's like, man, I would help you if I could, but it's not in the budget. God owns all things. He loves you. You're his child. Do you understand? He sees your need and he has the capacity and the heart to meet your need. And the best part is he's faithful to meet our needs. It's not a crapshoot. It's not just I wonder if he's going to do it. So many of us think that way. 
But look what Jesus says. Look what Jesus says to those that are considering the kingdom. He talks about the new kingdom life. He says this, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He wasn't just, you know, waxing poetic. Look at the things he talks about. Are these spiritual things, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to drink, right? No, these are real parts of life. This is an invitation, not a command. He doesn't say, do not worry. This is an invitation. You don't have to worry. We don't have to live like we're orphans. I think there's a great example I had this. When I was, um, one of the first missions trips that I got to go on uh, when I was a young man, I, was in, uh, I went to uh, Mexico City. And in Mexico City, we went to an orphanage that was, in, um, that was basically inside of a landfill. And uh, Mexico's city is huge, it's massive. And they have these huge dumps. And inside of the dumps, there are uh, orphans. And it's so tragic. These children who have lost their parents, um, who have been kicked out of homes, who have, their parents have left them, um, who have died. There's just, it's just tragic. And these little children, I mean, little children, up to like teenagers and some adults and stuff live in there too. But they have nobody, no home. No family. They have nowhere to go. So they go and they build a life in, in, the, in the trash heap of society. And they go and they live their life and every day they're foraging. Every day is a fight for survival. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Right? What am I going to drink? This is what occupies their mind every single day. It's a matter of survival. And then we got to go in and in the name of Christ be able to go and invite these, these children and into this orphanage and say, there's a home for you. Not just a meal for a day, but a home for you. And some of these children have clothes, right? Because kids grow and they were just naked and they would give them clothes and it would give them good food and they'd give them a place to stay, but more than that, they would give them a, a home. They would give them love and compassion. One of the best things that we did there was to play with the kids and to, to care for them and it was amazing work. But how many of us live like those orphans? So many people in this world, it's how they live. They don't know their Heavenly Father. They're out here in this trash heap of the world and they just struggle every single day. Every thought in their mind. How do I, how do I make sure that I have enough? How am I going to be okay, right? How am I going to provide for me or my children and my family? And they live and they strive and they work and it's terrifying. And there is no peace and there is no security. And God invites you out of that. He invites you home. You know, my work there, it was interesting. We would, we would give clothes to these children. And sometimes they would have the hardest time even putting them on because they wouldn't trust. They were afraid that other people would take them. And we would give them food, and that we would show them there's lots of food, right? And, and you could have all that you need, and they would, they would hoard it, and they would hide it, because they were afraid somebody was going to take it, and they were, some of them were, wouldn't even feel safe enough to stay in the beds for a very long time. I think oftentimes we don't trust the grace that is given to us, but your Heavenly Father has adopted you. Do you get that? You come home, and He provides for you. And He doesn't just provide for the big things he provides for your life. That's what the promise is. That you don't have to live your life panicking like the pagans. You can live like his child. 
But there's a contingency there, isn't it? I mean, if my son, my wonderful, awesome son, if he decided to go live in the Larimer County landfill, there's not much I can do to provide for him. When he comes home, on the mountain of the house of Dorman, there is provision for him, and it will be provided. And on the mountain, the Lord will be provided. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Stop worrying about all these other things. Can you trust your heavenly father to meet your practical needs, like your electric bill and your food and your clothing? Can we do that? That's a step of faith. That's a walk on a mountain, isn't it? But on the mountain, the Lord it will be provided. I'm going to give you two examples of this, what it looks like. What does it mean to seek God's kingdom and righteousness above all else? And then I will bring, we'll wrap this up. Two examples from my life. The first one was this. I shared with a couple weeks ago about tithing. My wife and I were young. We started learning. I didn't grow up in the church, so I learned how to, we slowly learned how to tithe, and it took a while, and we were doing that, and there's all promises in Scripture how God's going to take care of you, and then, so we were doing all of that, and then the, everything that we had worked for just got taken away. My wife got sick, spent lots of time in the hospital. She couldn't work. All the medical bills, the insurance companies decided to not do what they promised to do, and we were, we were underwater. There was a time that the interest on what we owed for our medical bills was more than my take-home pay. That's when you know you're buried. And we were there. And we were still tithing. And I had a struggle with this because I was saying, God, we're trusting you, and I don't feel like I'm being provided for. Yet looking back on those years, my son never went to bed hungry, not one day. We never lost our home. For your sake and benefit, we never went to work naked. Right? <laughs> right? Always had clothes. God took care of us that entire time, but it didn't feel like it. It made no sense. And so there was a day, a very real day, and I shared this a couple weeks with you. It was like Amy, my wife, was going to be um, discharged from the hospital after a two-and-a-half-week stay. She's going to get to come home, but we couldn't afford her medicine unless we didn't give the tithe. I knew my tithe was going to come out. I was going to get paid, and I couldn't afford both. And I remember sitting there on, in the hospital, and, and talking with her, and the temptation all the way through this was to stop tithing anyway, because I was mad at God. I'm like, you're not keeping your end of the bargain. Why should I? But every time, we always stop and say, well, if we abandon God, where's our hope? So we always continued, and that was hard. It was sacrifice, and it didn't, and for years, I mean, this wasn't just like a week. This was years, almost a decade. And then there was that time when I was like, do I choose my wife, or do I choose God? So I talked with her about it. I said, what do we do? And we sat there, and we prayed, and and everything in us, you know, we wanted to just say, forget this, we're going to take care of it, but there was, we couldn't find peace in it. And we said again, yet again, Lord, we cannot, we can't abandon you. You're our hope. You're going to have to provide. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you're going to have to provide. You know what happened? My wife got discharged, and uh, it was a miraculous thing. God showed up, and she got her medicine. And the most unexpected of ways had to do with wrong notes in the hospital between the discharged doctor and somebody else. And then there was a, uh, another church in town had given us a, a gift, a surprise gift that we had not asked for, nor were we expecting to show up in our mail. And we were able to get her medicine, and God provided. Yet one more week. It was amazing. God showed up. Now, it was pretty cool. Is I, can, I stand here now. I don't have any medical debt. Like none. Like no debt. That was crazy. Because God then delivered for us from something that seemed impossible. He showed up. And that's the only way I can say it. He worked through you and he worked through all kinds of ways. But God showed up. And he delivered me in something that I could never deliver myself from. Because on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. 
So I had to climb that mountain. And I had to pass the test. And Amy and I, we didn't know if we were going to, God knew we were going to pass. Amy and I didn't know. But I'll tell you now, we don't get so worried about is God going to provide. We've seen it. Here's a second example was this, was the uh, was Sabbath. During those years, I didn't just sit idly back. I feel very conf- um, responsible to take care of my family, financially and otherwise. So when my wife got sick and there was these bills, I started working extra. And so I didn't take a Sabbath. In fact, up to that point, I never really did anyway. But I really didn't. And so I started picking up extra jobs. And so I was writing, I was um, designing websites for people on, um, on uh, Craigslist and things like that. I was doing electrical work on the side. I was, you know, uh, I was raking people's pine needles and putting them in bags. I was doing all kinds of extra work. And I was working seven days a week. And I was working like 18 hours a day. And then trying to be a husband to a sick wife and a father to a toddler. And that was, I was spent and I wasn't doing any of those things well. But here was the thing. Despite all of my hard work, I was getting further behind. The bills just weren't being met. It was hard. And then somebody had the audacity, one of my brothers in Christ, the audacity to say to me, you should have a Sabbath because they could see I was falling apart and I about throttled them, right? And I was like this, if God can't provide for me in seven days of all of this work, why would I trust for him to take care of me in six? So I built my own mountain, but I wasn't provided for on my own mountain. I just physically could not do it. And so slowly again, God brought the conviction, and I said, okay, I'm going to have to trust you, God. I don't know how you're going to do it. You're going to have to do it. So I slowly learned how to build a Sabbath into my life. And it was hard. You know, Sabbaths are great. It's not a day to sit around and do Gregorian chants. It's a day to be refreshed. You do what feeds your soul. It's, it's awesome, right? So like Thomas and I yesterday came out, and we played airsoft for a while, and then we barbecued. It was great. Sabbaths are awesome. It wasn't a problem with the Sabbath. It was a problem with I didn't know how God was going to provide if I took a day off. Because I thought everything rested on me like it was my mountain. But I'm not building my kingdom. I'm building God's kingdom. And on his mountain, it will be provided. And so I started taking a Sabbath. And God began refreshing in me. And he restored and renewed my relationship with my wife and my son and my own spirit and my body. And then he removed the dead. And then he delivered me. And then God showed up. I will tell you, this is not a joke. You trust God. Seek him first. His kingdom, his righteousness above all else. Then you don't have to live like the pagans and the orphans. You got a heavenly father. So what is Yahweh Yireh? How does it affect us? What does it mean? It means the Lord will provide. Believe it. If we don't trust this, then what are we doing? God is real. And God, this Yahweh Yireh provides because he is omniscient. He sees our needs. He sees it. He prepared for it long ago. He is all sufficient. He's able to meet your needs. He knows exactly what you have, and he's able to do it. And more than that, he is faithful. He is our perfect provider. He will show up at just the right time and just the right way. God does not drop his children. It's not a question we provide. The question is, will you let him? What mountain are you on? I'll say this. There's an invitation. Come on. How do you apply this? How do you take this, this name, Yahweh, and put it into practice in your life? This is easy. There's a thousand ways. Maybe right now God's already prompting something in your own heart, your own soul. This is what you need to do. There's some way that you need to seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, right? So there's something. And that's, man, make that your commitment this week. But for those of you who maybe have a 
can't think of something, I've got some ideas, some ways, and maybe some next steps to how to trust God. The first one, if you take your connection card on the back side for some commitments there, and I would like you to put those there because I'm going to pray for you because I know how hard this is. Faith is not an easy thing. That's why God gives us a community of faith to support one another. Isn't that great? Well, maybe what you could do this week is memorize Genesis twenty-two fourteen. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Hey, that's a truth that you need to know. Maybe if you're feeling insecure, get to the mountain, go home. Go to your heavenly father, seek his kingdom, his righteousness first. He will provide. Maybe that's where you get to start. Let the word of God do its work in your heart to draw you into faithfulness. Or how about this? Maybe you want to read Genesis 22. I shared with you two stories from my life. I did that because I hope that it helps build your faith. Because the faith testimony of other people builds our faith, doesn't it? We get to see God is real for them. He's also maybe real for me. This is what Genesis 22 is. It's the story of a real man where God really showed up in a very significant way. You want to see how God works? It's the same God today. Maybe if you need to see that, another testimony so you can have the faith to trust God. Read Genesis 22. Or how about this? Maybe you need to put it to practice. Maybe you need to ask God. So many times the scripture says that uh, we don't have our needs met because we didn't ask. God's not going to impose himself on you. So maybe you just need to ask, say, God, I need your help. But if you ask God, you also need to trust him because it says in the word, sometimes we ask God, we don't get what we ask for because we don't believe he's actually going to do it. And God's not going to honor that. And so we say, God, I'm going to ask for these things. I'm going to trust that you are the kind of God. You are Yahweh, Yahweh. You're going to do this. But if you're going to trust God, then you also have to obey God because it's on the mountain of the Lord that will be provided. Seek first the, his kingdom and his righteousness. Then it will be provided. And so, maybe you need to obey. Maybe it is a tithe. Maybe it's a Sabbath. Maybe it's making worship a priority. Maybe it's forgiving somebody. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, wherever it is that you can take steps to make God seek his kingdom and his righteousness first and above else, Maybe that's where you begin. In the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And this last one I just joined at the end, it says nothing to do with the other ones, but it's more of a practical thing. We were going to do a membership class last month. A lot of people wanted to be part of it. And they were like, no, I can't do June because we're traveling. So I said, if I do one in July, you want to come. We're doing one on July 8th. If you've been part of our church for a few months, you want to see what it's like to be part of a community of faith, a family of faith, you're interested in going to that class, how, what is our church about, how is it structured, this is all acts of faith, right? We're building God's kingdom. That's what we're about. If you want to be part of that class, we invite you to join us. It's about a three-hour class on July 8th. And so if you want to do that, let us know because we provide food. If we have to provide child care, we'd like to know that in advance. And uh, we'd like to make sure that we have a place for you. All right, so make your commitments. If there's something else, please write it down. If you have a prayer request, list it because our God listens and he acts. And then in a second, we're going to take our offering. Take our offering. Please take these connection cards. Put them in the offering baskets as they're passed. Uh, we would sure appreciate that, along with your tithes and your gifts. Now, let's pray for these, if you wouldn't mind. We'll, we'll ask God's blessing over our commitments. We'll also bless, ask his blessing over our tithes and our offerings. Let's do that now. Father God, thank you that you are Yahweh Yireh, that you provide. And it's true. On the mountain, the Lord will be provided. You proved it most uh, literally and, and profoundly in the coming of Christ. That we can be saved by your grace through our faith in him as our Lord and Savior. Not by works, not even by obedience, but simply by faith. Because you meet our needs and you knew that we needed it. But Father, thank you that you didn't just stop there. You also provide for our practical needs. That you invite us to, be, to live like your children. Help us to have the good sense to, to come home. Let us trust you. Let us be a church that builds your kingdom and are seeking your, your goodness and your righteousness above all else. 
And God, in this, I pray that the testimony of our life, how you've shown up in our life, would be witness to the world that God has shown up. Lord, and that they will know that you are real and that you are loving and they will see you for your true character. Build our faith and help us build your faith through us. Take these tithes, these commitments, these offerings, and do just that, we would ask in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.